Hi, everybody. Welcome. Shorts. Shorts. I'm Swords. Episode 35. Just really cruising around here, so uh, let's just do what we always do, and we'll hop uh, right to the episode segment. Let's do it. When I think of number 35, one comes to mind. Talking about NBA superstar Kevin Durant, Phoenix Suns forward. He'll go down one of the greatest scores ever to grace the hardwood. The 6'10 frame was made to dominate on the basketball court. Originally drafted second overall, just behind Greg Oden to Portland by the Seattle Supersonics, who relocated to Oklahoma City. They should be another team back in Seattle, but that's a whole other thing. And his one season in Seattle, pretty good. He won Rookie of the Year. Averaging over 20 points a game as a teenager, you know, only the third person to do that behind Carmelo Anthony and LeBron James. But uh, numerous accolades, 13-time All-Star, two All-Star MVPs, six-time All-NBA first team, four-time All-NBA second. He's led the league in scoring four times, two NBA championships with the Golden State Warriors. Some judge them, however, I don't... He was very important to those teams, and he did win MVP for both of those titles, so... I'm not putting any asterisks on those titles or anything, but he only went to Texas for a year in college, did great things there, you know, jumped, he got his 35 retired there before jumping to the NBA, so won three Olympic gold medals, part of USA, excuse me, like I said, he's rocked the 35 in Seattle, OKC, Golden State, Brooklyn, and now is a Phoenix Sun, so expectations of, you know, I want to say never been higher, but they've been high in Phoenix before, but they are really high, <laughs> considering they have Devin Booker and Bradley Beal now. Yeah, this is title or bust, I think, for this team. One thing's for sure, is you'll see Kevin Durant in the Hall of Fame. Another Hooper, this one won't jump out to you right away, because I, I was trying to grasp at which other ones, because I had to have two in there or something, but uh, journeyman Clarence Weatherspoon rocked 35 most of his career. His productive years were with the 76ers, where he became a great uh, role player as an undersized NBA big. In college, he was a beast at Southern Miss, earning the number nine overall pick in the 92 draft. But uh, some other 35s in the league worth mentioning, Isaac Okoro of the Cleveland Cavs, really like that guy, and uh, Christian Wood of the LA Lakers. He's uh, asked to re relieve Anthony Davis uh, as a backup, but uh, Davis has already, he's had a good start to the year, we'll see. And I, I love Okoro, like I said, in Cleveland, I think he should play lots, he does. But uh, yeah, great defender and his offensive games is improving and improving. But uh, my last basketball mention will be on the women's side. 6'6", <clears throat> John Quell Jones, a beast inside and out. She won WNBA MVP in 2021 as a member of the Connecticut Sun. We saw what she can do with the New York Liberty. Sometimes a forgotten player, but clearly the best player in the finals for the Liberty. She's developed her game throughout her career, too. She just didn't come in as a star. She won Most Improved in 2017, Sixth Woman of the Year in 2018, and she's the only WNBA player to win uh, Most Improved Woman, uh, Sixth Woman of the Year, as well as MVP. And she's not only a scorer, but she does the dirty work, too, leading the league and rebounding three different times and blocks once. She's made w WNBA All-Defensive Team three times, and uh, she's also playing abroad. Well, she has before. You know, that's what the women have to do because they don't get as much money in America. But uh, she's lit it up in Korea, China, and Russia before, you know, the invasion of Ukraine prompted her to leave that team. She's originally from Bahamas, but she represents Bosnia internationally from her time playing abroad. 
Well, going from the hardwood to the diamond, the first number 35 I'll mention is uh, he'll be in the Hall of Fame, but he's a current player. Uh, I'm talking about Kate Upton's husband, Justin Verlander. He had been traded back to Houston this season after the debacle as a New York Met, but he's uh, been in pretty good there, helping the Astros have a good little postseason run before getting knocked out. But uh, yeah, he started his career in Detroit with the Tigers, a beast right out of the gate, winning Rookie of the Year. And then he'd win his first of three Cy Youngs and AL MVP in 2011. His third Cy Young may be his most impressive, though, as he missed the entire 2021 season due to Tommy John surgery. And he returned and dominated, winning AL Comeback of the Player of the Year as well. Nine-time All-Star, two-time World Series champ, one with the Tigers, one with the Astros. Led the AL in strikeouts five times, wins four times, and ERA twice. All coming together in that magical 2011 season when he achieved the triple crown, the pitching triple crown, which is uh, when you get all three of those stats in one year. And he's an elusive member of the 3,000 strikeout club, sitting 13th for strikeouts. And he's got three no-hitters in his career. Just a phenomenal career. Like I said, he's Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame bound for sure. The next 35 is a retired pitcher, another member of the 3000 strikeout club. I'm talking about Phil Necro, one of the greatest knuckle, or perhaps the greatest knuckleball pitcher of all time. 24 seasons in the big leagues with four different franchises, five all star games, four golden gloves, lead the NL and wins twice and strikeouts once. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and his 35 is retired with the Braves, where he's also a member of the Hall of Fame, and where he threw his only no hitter. But sticking with pitchers in the Hall of Fame, let's go with Mike Messina, Moose. You know, he played most of his career with the Orioles before joining the Yankees. And although he never won a Cy Young or World Series, he was a consistent pitcher throughout his career, winning at least 11 games in 17 straight seasons, an AL record. So uh, he'd make five All-Star games, winning seven gold gloves, and is a member of the Orioles Hall of Fame as well. One pitcher I'll mention that isn't in the Hall of Fame yet, San Diego Padre pit legend Randy Jones. He made two All-Star games and won the LA NL Cy Young in 76. But on his last start of the 76 season, he injured a nerve in his pitching arm that required exploratory surgery. So he was never able to regain that pre-surgery play he had, but he was still an effective pitcher. And he's the, he has the unfortunate record of being a the only starting pitcher to win a Cy Young and possess a losing record, 100-123. But like I said, though, he's a legend in San Diego. He's in their Hall of Fame. His number 35 is retired by the franchise. And one of those players, you know, where unfortunately injuries took away what could have been an even more promising career. But the last baseball player I'll mention is not a pitcher. He's far from it. I'm talking about the big hurt. Frank Thomas, first baseman designated hitter, he would crush that ball. He's part of the 500 home run club with his 521 home runs. Have him 20th all-time on the list. Tied with Willie McAvoy and Ted Williams. Not bad company. <laughs> and no, no asterisks needed with the big hurt at all. Never, ever been involved with PEDs. Never in an... In, any like allegations towards him he's just a big dude <laughs> he was one of the few players that said yeah interview me for the mitchell report in 2007 but yeah he couldn't just hit bombs he was a good hitter too like finishing his career 301 for an average is pretty dope but uh his best years were at the white Sox, where he did spend the majority of his career winning alm winning american league mvp in back-to-back -back seasons in 93 and 94 Five All-Star Game appearances, four Silver Sluggers. 
He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame and is 35, is retired with the White Sox, where he also has a big bronze statue outside the stadium. So, phenomenal career for him. Uh, leaving the diamond for the hockey rink, first number 35 I'll mention is a goaltender, Tony Esposito. Blackhawks legend is one of the pioneers of the ever-so-popular butterfly between the pipes. His brother, Phil, you might have heard of him pretty good as well. Both brothers are in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Tony got his name on the Stanley Cup early on when he was a backup for Vachon in Montreal, and they swept the Blues. The Canadians left him, though, and the Chicago picked him up. That's where he spent the rest of his career. He'd win the Calder Trophy for Best Rookie, six All-Star games, and the Vezina three different times. And he was one of the two goalies used in the historic 72 Summit Series between Canada and Russia. His 35 is hanging in Chicago. So, The next player I'll mention is also a goaltender. An American legend, Mike Richter, spent his entire career with the Rangers and was the starting goalie for the 94 Stanley Cup winning team with Marc Messier. He'd make three All-Star games in the NHL and played a few pretty big games for the USA hockey team. The latter winning a silver medal at the 02 Olympics. His 35 is retired by the Rangers. Only a third player to get that privilege, and he's in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, but surprisingly not in the NHL or in the Hockey Hall of Fame. So, yeah, we'll see if he ever gets in there. I don't know if his numbers quite put him in. We'll see. But finishing with another great goalie, this one I watched a lot too. Peke Rene played his entire career with the Nashville Predators, retiring in 2021 making four All-Star games, winning the Vesna in 2018. He's also represented Finland in a few different World Hockey Championships. Uh, again, like Richter's numbers, I don't know if they're enough. They'll get him into the Hockey Hall of Fame. But his 35 is going to be hanging in Nashville 100%. And uh, the last 35 I'll mention goes to the gridiron. Not going to lie. Not a lot came to mind when I was thinking 35. But cornerback Anus Williams... Spent the first part of his career putting up amazing numbers under the radar as a Cardinal. Not a lot of people were watching him, but he'd make four All-Pros, six Pro Bowls. And the Cardinals were never a dominant team. Like I said, he'd play in one playoff game in 2001. Just one playoff game his entire career in Arizona. But in 2001, he was traded to St. Louis Rams, where he'd slide over to free safety. Just because of injuries in the secondary, you move where you got to move. And there he thrived, as people expected. He'd earn all pro, two Pro Bowl selections. And it was really exciting to see him in the postseason. And the Rams would make that run to the Super Bowl. He'd make huge, huge plays, especially one against my Packers, where he'd pick off Favre twice and bring it to pay dirt. Also recovered a fumble in that game. Then the NFC title game, he picked off Donovan McNabb late to... Get his team to the Super Bowl, but there he met some guy named Tom Brady. Where he'd have his Patriots win their Super Bowl, but Williams is 20th all time on the all time interceptions list with 20, and of course, he's in the Hall of Fame. So, pretty good jersey segment there. We'll jump right into the week of sports. It was a, it was a fun one. We'll, uh, Quick time machine jump to last Monday where the Lions hosted the Raiders on Monday Night Football. I predicted a really big beatdown by the Lions, and they did stat-wise, score-wise, not so much. They only won by 26-14, but if you look at the stats, they were pretty bad. And this would uh, brutal display of football by the Raiders eventually led to... Mark Davis making the move, firing Josh McDaniels, coach, and GM David Ziegler. Then it was announced that offensive coordinator Mick Lombardi was canned as well. They say the final camel that broke, or the final straw that broke the camel's back was the lack of transactions to improve the team just before the deadline on October 31st. Once that passed, no move, they're like, I, you're out. 
sent him packing. So Antonio Pierce has taken over the interim role in that position. And it's like, it looks like $80 million is owed to John Gruden and Josh McDaniels to not coach the Raiders. So that's not very big. <laughs> but uh, I did mention that deadline on the 31st, some other big moves. The uh, 49ers picking up Chase Young from the Commanders. That's huge. Like, reuniting him with Bosa on that line, that's scary. Um, another move was uh, the fire sale in Washington continuing. Montez Sweat getting shipped off to the Bears. Big move for the Bears. They inked him up right away. The Vikings with uh, Cousins out for the year with that Achilles injury. They needed some help at quarterback. They went for Joshua Dobbs from the Cardinals. We'll, uh, we'll get more into him later. But uh, we're coming back to week eight. We're leaving that Monday in the past. Coming to week eight. We started it with a Thursday match between the Titans and the Steelers. Everyone's favorite matchup between Will Levis and Kenny Pickett. But Pickett. But uh, so it's a back and forth game. You know, a lot of field goals. Only touchdowns in the first three quarters were by the running backs Najee Harris for the Steelers and Derrick Henry for the Titans. But then the fourth quarter with the Titans up, Kenny Pickett would lead a drive, hitting Deontay Johnson for a touchdown pass. Wild thing was, this was Johnson's first touchdown catch since Ben Roethlisberger threw him one. Wow, yeah, so it's been a bit. Uh, but, yeah, Kenny Pickett, got to give him credit. Seventh game-winning drive in his 20th third. I mean, that's meaning you're down a bunch, but it means he's leading him back. So I've given Pickett some hate on this show, but I'll give him props when he did well. You know, good on him. Tough go for the Titans, you know. We'll see where they're going forward. But at least I, I feel with Levis, they know what they have at QB going forward. A lot better than Tannehill. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the earliest game on Sunday was this massive AFC matchup, which you're wondering why we sent it off to Germany, but they got it. So uh, it started with Mahomes hitting Rasheed Rice and Jarek McKinnon on touchdown passes, and they're up 14 nothing. And it's looking like the Dolphins might get a score before halftime. Tua hit Tyreek, who is getting harassed by his old team nonstop. But on this instance, he fumbled the ball. Ball is picked up by the Chiefs. It's looking like they're getting tackled. Then whoop, give it a lateral. They return it all the way to Paydirt. Boom, you're up 21-0 at halftime over the Dolphins. I don't even think Kansas City expected that. But, you know, third quarter, Tua would hit Cedric Wilson for a touchdown pass, 21-7. Kansas City's next possession, Bradley Chubb forced the Mahomes fumble, and the Dolphins would recover. You're like, we're rolling. KC makes a good stop, and you're like, ah, but wait. There was an unnecessary roughness call, which would give them the automatic first down. Then on the Dolphins' very next play, Raheem Mostert runs it in. You got a one-possession game here. And then the Dolphins would get another chance to tie it up. And on 4th and 10, in Casey's territory, the snap would go right past Tua. He'd fall on it, turnover downs. Casey gets the big win over in Deutschland. And uh, Dolphins continue to struggle against teams with winning records. That's 0-3 now against them. So we'll see what happens when they come back to North America here. But Vikings-Falcons, tell me if you thought this would turn out to be one of the best early games. You had Vikings starting quarterback, Jaron Hall, taking over after Cousins, and he got knocked out of the game. So that meant Josh Dobbs, who I alluded to earlier, just getting traded to this team on Tuesday. And like, all right, get in there. Wasn't a good start for him. Clayus Campbell would sack him in the end zone for a safety. But, man, this game was back and forth. The Falcons would get a big play on Johnny Smith, where he showed a tight end gear. I didn't know they could hit on that 60-yard touchdown run. And, you know, Dobbs struggled a bit. He had three fumbles in the game, but he was making it happen on his feet. He had an 18-yard touchdown run. And then just with over two minutes to go, Tyler Algier would run in a five-yard touchdown run to give the Falcons a four-point lead. And you're like, oh, this is it. 
But that's when the Josh Dobbs magic happened. He'd leave this drive with his feet scampering around shit, getting out, throwing the people he didn't even know their names yet. And then he did Brandon Powell for a game-winning touchdown with 22 seconds left on the clock. Again, what he did, legendary. He's a leader. He's a guy that makes you want to run through a wall for him. Big-time Vikings win. But on the other sideline, Arthur Smith, like, what are you doing with Bijan Robinson? Bijan Robinson. You got Bijan Mustard sitting back there, and you're not even giving him the ball. Like, And when he did get touches, he did good things. Granted, he had the one fumble. But it seems like the last few weeks, uh, I don't know, maybe he did something to get in the doghouse. But I think the Falcons want to start winning again. they got to play him. But... Bears and Saints, that had a nice start with Tyson. Bajant, man, throwing a fuck it and chuck it one up in the air to Cole Komet, who had to make a great catch for the touchdown. Then the Saints would answer through Chris Olave, only for Komet to get another touchdown. Only does catch touchdowns. But then uh, Taysom Hill would catch a pass from Derek Carr to answer. And then the game would be got, tied going into the fourth before Taysom Hill would throw a touchdown this time to Juwan Johnson. Saints take the lead, take the win. Big win for them. My Packers, I even busted out the Packers jersey because, uh, yeah, they were hosting the Rams team, missing Matthew Stafford, and you get Brett Rippon. The Rams defense fought, but they'd have no support from Rippon in that offense. And Green Bay, with despite the game being just handed to them, they, they didn't look all that good. But we got a touchdown through Aaron Jones, and Luke Musgrave got... His first touchdown, the rookie tight end. We needed that win. We'll take it. Rams, yikes. They looked uh, they looked pretty struggling. <laughs> but uh, Commanders and Patriots, Patriots looking to bounce back of some of their own struggle, struggles, and they'd find themselves 10 down in the second quarter after Brian Robinson would run one in for Washington. The Patriots would respond nicely, though. Mac Jones hitting Hunter Henry, the tight end, for a touchdown. Then Ramondre Stevenson taking one 64 yards to give them the lead. And then you'd see a beautiful thrown ball by Sam Howell in the third to Jahan Dotson for a 33-yard touchdown. It makes you look like, man, how was that guy? He makes some weird plays, but then he'll have throws like that. You're like, damn. But uh, Joey Sly would put Washington ahead in the third, and that's it. No more scoring the rest of the game. Commanders pick up a big win. Patriots continue to struggle. Bill Belichick really struggling with this team this year. But, uh... Another big matchup, we thought, two teams with bird mascots, Seahawks, Ravens, but this was really one-sided. Geno Smith played awful in this game. You combine that with a Ravens team that was running the ball like the 1950s, they outran the Seahawks 298-28, to including two touchdowns in by Gus Edwards and one by rookie Keaton Mitchell, who ran one from 40 yards out and finished with 138 yards rushing on nine carries. Crazy. Odell Beckham would get his first touchdown catch of the season with a dope little dance, but that was from Tyler Huntley. As this game was so far out of reach, uh, Lamar Jackson was pulled from the game. <laughs> and if you had Lamar Jackson in fantasy, he did not put up big numbers. But why would he with that running game they had going? Yeah, they were set. Big win for Baltimore. Head scratcher for Seattle. And then Buccaneers and Texans. I, I doubted anyone. I doubt anyone had this as their highest scoring week game of the week. But it was a fucking doozy, this one. Back and forth. Both teams looked like they could win. You had short touchdown runs. You had long-distance hitters, like 75-yard touchdown pass from C.J. Stroud to Noah Brown. 
You had a backup running back taking kickoffs after Texans kicker Fairbairn got injured. Dara Gunbawale even went out and hit a 29-yard field goal to put Houston ahead 33-30. And if you're like, that name sounds familiar, even though I butchered it, but it is familiar because Dare, Dare is the brother of WNBA superstar Arika Agbungawale, who I talk about nonstop on this podcast because she's a gunner and I love watching her play. But anyway, that field goal put them ahead. But Baker did his own thing and Mayfield went down the field hitting Cade Auten for a touchdown pass to put Tampa ahead with 46 seconds. And they looked over. Not for number two overall pick, C.J. Stroud. He led his team down the field, hitting Tank Dell with a beautiful throw to put Houston up with six seconds left. That was Stroud's fifth touchdown pass of the day. He also threw for 470 yards, a rookie record, and he broke my heart in fantasy football this week because I played against him. What a game for C.J. Stroud. Houston's got their franchise quarterback, and then some. Wow. But uh, Cardinals and Browns, and this one, the only thing keeping the Cardinals in games, it seemed, were J- Josh Dobbs. And he's brought his match touched over to Minnesota. So how would Clayton Toon do filling in until Kyler Murray's ready to go in a week or two? He showed up, and this tune did not sound so sweet. This Cleveland front line destroyed the young man, leading him to two interceptions and throwing for only 58 yards passing. Deshaun Watson looked pretty good in his return. The Browns... Oof, they cruised to an easy 27 nothing win over the Cardinals. Even with Kyler Murray back, well, I don't know. They just look defeated in this one, but they need Kyler Murray back to see what this Cardinals team can do. Um, you had the Colts and Panthers' number one overall pick, Bryce Young. Saw his good friend C.J. Stroud go off earlier in the game with those rookie numbers I was telling about. But uh, the Colts had other ideas. Bryce Young would throw two pick sixes in the game. Both the Colts, Kenny Moore the second. One, he returned 49 yards, one for 65. Bryce Young would hit DJ Shark in the third, but his, uh, his second pick six really sealed the fate for this team. Gardner Minshew did what he had to do to get the Colts to win, and Jonathan Taylor started, he came in a little late to the season after that trade request, but he's starting to come along, and the Colts get the easy win. I mentioned Antonio Pierce with the Giant or with the Raiders. He used to be with the Giants, but now he's coaching the Raiders. And how would he fare going up against the Giants, the team he used to play for? And they were starting Aiden O'Connell over Jimmy G. And uh, the rookie looked good, mostly handing the ball off as the Giants proceeded to run it down the throat. Or the, the Raiders, sorry, the Raiders proceeded to run it down the Giants' throats. Touchdown run by Jacoby Miller, Jacoby Myers, and then you had two more by Josh Jacobs. Suddenly the Raiders are up 24-0 at halftime. Daniel Jones returned to this game from injury, but he'd leave again, and it's feared it might be a torn ACL. And so he's done for the year, and it's going to be the Tommy DeVito show the rest of the season, which could be a tough go for the Giants. But, uh, yeah, Raiders look good. They take this one easily, you know, scoring 30 points for the first time all season, and they actually look happy out there. I mean, maybe the cure for a team is... Firing your coach and GM and offensive coordinator. Or maybe it's just going up against the Giants. But uh, either way, the Raiders look really good playing under Antonio Pierce. They look like a like a, a much hungrier team, these Raiders. But I'm just hoping they've kind of learned from their mistakes. We remember after John Gruden had to resign, after all those emails came out in 2021, Rich Bisakia comes in, the interim, takes this team to the playoffs. And how do they reward Rich? Stripping him of head coaching duties and hiring some clown named Josh McDaniels. Fast forward to now, similar situation. Clown Josh McDaniels out, 
interim coach, Antonio Pierce, comes in. He's looking like he's doing well. I think he'll turn this team around and, dare I say, make the playoffs. I don't know. That's a big stretch, but they're looking inspired. And as long as they keep forcing the ball to Devontae and if Jacobs can get going, this defense is good enough. So maybe if this does happen, let's reward Antonio Pierce by letting him keep the job rather than rewarding his good work with a dismissal and hiring another white clown coach to come in and set you back a few more years. We'll see. I'm rooting for Pierce and the Raiders. He's doing good things there. Cowboys-Eagles, perhaps the game of the week. This divisional battle could have gone either way. Like, at halftime, Cowboys led 17-14. The start the third, Hertz would hit Devontae Smith. Beautiful touchdown pass, put the Eagles ahead. Then later in the, corner, in the quarter, he'd hit A.J. Brown for a touchdown catch. But on that drive, beautiful pass Dallas Goddard made. He, he injured his arm, and it's rumored he may have a break, so... He might be done for the season. We'll see. Hopefully the injuries aren't as bad as they're saying because Goddard's really important to that team. But after that last touchdown by A.J. Brown there, the Cowboys with six minutes left, Dak would hit Tolbert to make it a five-point game. So they'd want to go for two to make it three. They converted it on a Dak scramble, but the replay showed you could see he stepped out of bounds, keeping it a five-point game. But they would get another chance. The defense would hold up and Dak would get a drive. I mean, it's a lot harder going for a touchdown rather than three. But they were moving the ball and the Eagles were dropping. Bradbury had the lead with injury. Slay had the lead with injury. So they were really thin in the back. You could hear the nerves in the in the crowd of the Eagles fans. But Bradbury and Slay were able to come back in late and they helped stop CeeDee Lamb on a fourth down just before the end zone. So... Big win for the Eagles, taking a firmer grip on the NFC East. And I don't know, you can't totally blame Dak on this when he was out there trying. But big win. The Eagles are a really good team, and they're showing why. And then you had the nightcap, Bills and Bengals, re playoff rematch. And Joe Burrow, he was cooking first half. Two touchdown passes. Another one run in by Joe Mixon would counter one by Josh Allen run in. You're 21-7 at halftime after some field goals. Allen would hit Stephon Diggs with a touchdown and then again on a two-point conversion got a one possession game but that's how it would end since cincinnati's continuing to find their stride while buffalo still head scratching as they drop the five and four that leaves one game left on the slate for week eight you got uh, the chargers will be visiting the jets on monday night football that jets defense can be really intimidating even with all the firepower the chargers have but they do have injuries remember and uh i think that may cause herbert to struggle so it's tough to ask which team do you trust more when both these teams are untrustworthy. So the Chargers should win this game, but saying that makes me think I should pick against them because the Chargers always lose games they should win. So, shocker, Jets win tonight. We'll see. If I'm wrong, ah, I guess I owe you a Coke. <laughs> but uh, the World Series, uh, unfortunately, wasn't a very watched World Series. The numbers are showing. I was watching. I was there. But uh, Game 3 went way back on Monday. You'd have Fat starting, Brandon Fat starting for Arizona, Scherzer for Texas. Scherzer would leave the game with uh, back tightness after a pitch ricocheted off his back. I mean, that probably hurt. But uh, Adolis Garcia would also leave the game after he swung. The Rangers would win this game 3-1, but it would be announced that Garcia and Scherzer would miss the remainder of the series. So how would the teams bounce back? 
on game four, you'd have Heaney going out for the Rangers while Manta play for the Diamondbacks. And Marte would get a leadoff hit, extending his postseason streak to 20 games. Still crazy. What a way to start a postseason career. But this one really got out of hand. After uh, Jonah Heim solo bomb in the eighth, it was 11-1. So it was not looking good. Granted... You know, the Diamondbacks did what they did to make it interesting in front of the home crowd. They'd bring it to 11-7, to but that's as close as they'd get. And, you know, suddenly they're down 3-1, looking like they're going to lose the World Series. And in Game 5, it's exactly what they did. It was a very close game compared to the, the previous one. And Garver would put the Rangers up in the 7th. Then in the ninth, you know, in a 1-0 game, Jonah Heim would get a two-run triple. And then uh, Simeon would follow that up with a two-run home run. Suddenly it's 5 nothing. <laughs> and then the Diamondbacks couldn't muster up anything in the bottom of the ninth. Boom, Texas Rangers, your World Series champions. Didn't call that at the beginning of the year. Shortstop Corey Seager won the Willie Mays World Series MVP award. He had three home runs and six RBIs in the five games. And with the World Series win, Bruce Boshi became the sixth manager in MLB history to collect four World Series trophies. Three of those were going winning in San Francisco. So congrats to your Texas Rangers. Well done. Um, it was announced this weekend of the Gold Glove winners for the MLB season. The American League, you had first baseman Nathaniel Lowe of the Rangers, second baseman Andres Jimenez of the Guardians. You might remember his sweet punch on Anderson earlier in the year. Matt Chapman, third baseman of the Blue Jays. Rookie shortstop Anthony Volpe of the Yankees, catcher Jonah Heim of the Rangers, Jose Barrios of the Blue Jays, Stephen Kwan of the Guardians, Kevin Kiermeyer of the Blue Jays, Adolis Garcia of the Rangers, and utility player Mauricio Dubon for the Astros. So you might have noticed three gold glovers on the World Series of Texas Rangers, as well as three for your uh, wild card <laughs> eliminated Toronto Blue Jays as well. Jump into the National League, the first baseman, Christian Walker, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Second baseman, Nico Horner of the Cubs. First time in 11 years, the third base gold glove didn't go to Nolan Arenado. Arenado. It went to Cabrian Hayes of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Dansby Swanson with the Cubs. Rookie catcher, Gabriel Moreno, who won despite barely having any starts in the regular season. Zach Wheeler of the Phillies for pitching. Left fielder, Ian Happ of the Cubs. Center fielder, Brenton Doyle of the Rockies. Right fielder, Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres. And then utility player, Hassan Kim for the Padres. And then I mentioned uh, Anderson getting punched in the face by Jimenez earlier. It was announced Chicago White Sox are declining the option on Tim Anderson. So he'll be a free agent going into the season. The shortstop, he's a really good player. He's had some issues the last few years, but if he can get back to the play he was at before. I could see him getting picked up by someone right away. <laughs> but uh, we'll jump to footy. And during the midweek, you had some domestic cup action going on throughout England. In England or throughout Europe, sorry. And in England, you had the Caribou Cup. And with that, you had some big results. West Ham beat Arsenal 3-1. Boop, boop, boop. Then you had Liverpool beating Bournemouth 2-1. Everton skunk Burnley 3-0. And Newcastle embarrassed Man U 3-0. And in Germany, they have their Apocal Cup. Biggest upset by a mile or kilometer, depending where you're from, I guess. The third-tier team, Saarbrücken, beating Bayern Munich. Yes, that Saarbrücken beat Bayern Munich 2-1. Huge upset. <laughs> Another upset, Tier 2 club, Paderborn, beating Freiburg 3-1. And Wolfsburg also knocked out Leipzig. In Italy, the Coppa Italia had Serie B club, Parma, beating Serie A club, Lecce. 
And then you had Cagliari beating Udinese, which was probably the biggest upset of the week. But then you had some penalties with Sassuolo beating Spezia. So some little drama there. But we went back to the domestic leagues on the weekend. And to start it off in England, you had Fulham hosting Man U. This looked like it could go Fulham's way. And then Bruno Fernandes would pass one. Beautiful one right into the net off a little bit of a scramble. And his 200th appearance for the club, it was a really big goal for a, a real lackluster club of, of late. I don't know, Man U, they just haven't looked very good under Ten Hag. But uh, Brentford hosted West Ham in a goal-filled London derby. Brentford went ahead first, but goals by Mo Kudos and Jared Bowen had the hammers up at half. But then a West Ham own goal, followed by Nathan Collins' goal, would put Brentford back up and give them the win. Bastards. And then Man City demolished Bournemouth 6-1 at home. Whirlwind of emotion for Sheffield United. They were leading 1-0 at Wolves real late until Bellegarde would score in the 89th minute to tie it up. And then in the 10th minute of stoppage time, Oliver Norwood would score from the penalty spot to give Sheffield United their lead and first win since getting promoted to the Premier League. Crystal Palace would add the Burnley struggles, beating them 2-0. Everton looked poised for another win until a badly bounced own goal in the 84th minute would equalize for Brighton. And then a highly anticipated game, Newcastle and Arsenal. You'd have some VAR drama, but when all was said and done, you'd have Anthony Gordon's second-half goal being the winner, giving Arsenal their first loss of the EPL season. And then Nottingham Forest, this was an emotional game. They hosted Aston Villa. They went ahead in the fifth minute. Then they'd score in the 47th through Mangala to double their lead, but there was already a massive ovation in the 47th minute because you might remember Adam Johnson, who unfortunately passed from sustaining a neck injury in his hockey game, played for the Nottingham Panthers. So in the 47th minute, which was his number, they gave a standing ovation to honor him. It was a really cool scene, really lovely tribute what they did for him. I guess he was like that team is really important to the community, and it's good to see teams do that for their fallen ones. And uh, Forrest would hold on to win 2-0 in the emotional win. And uh, Liverpool would play Luton Town, and Liverpool was dominating the whole game, but... In footy fashion, in the 80th minute, Luton Town would go ahead via Chong, and it looked like they might steal it. But then Luis Diaz would score in stoppage time, and he'd raise his shirt, showing a message asking for his father's release, because he's got a lot going on off the field. Like, the National Liberation Army, it's a terrorist group. It's they've, They kidnapped Diaz's parents. His mom has been released, but his father is still held captive, like... The Colombian government has announced this. They're trying to get him released. Super scary stuff. So hopefully they can do something to save him because this guy's living his dream on the footy pitch and he's got to worry about his kidnapped dad. Just a lot of stuff bigger than sports there. There is one game left to be played, and it's a dandy. A London derby between Tottenham and Chelsea. Tottenham are the last unbeaten team now with Arsenal losing. So if a win, they'll jump back ahead of Man City. If they tie, they'll be equal with them on points. So... I see Tottenham beating Chelsea because I don't really like Chelsea as a team. Sorry, Toad. I know that's your team, but yeah, I kind of hope they lose. <laughs> Going to Germany for the Bundesliga, you had a marquee game of the number one and number two in the last few years between Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. Bayern did not feel threatened by the look of it. Harry Kane got another hat trick. They won 4-0. Pretty, pretty easy win. Bayern Leverkusen had a dramatic match against Hoffenheim where they would rely on an Alex Grimaldo brace to win 3-2. Cologne and Augsburg would draw. Freiburg would need a stoppage time penalty to secure a point in their draw against Mönchengladbach. Mainz probably the biggest win of the weekend with their shock win over Leipzig to get their literal first win of the year. 
And poor Union Berlin suffered their 12th loss in a row in all competitions and a 3-0 loss to Eintracht Frankfurt. Brutal for them. But their fans, they're, they're trying to will them some days, but it's tough to see. Heidenheim would end the week with a 2-0 win over Stuttgart. So after 10 matches in Germany, Bayern Leverkusen sit atop the table. Bayern Munich right behind them. Third to sixth place teams all lost this weekend, so that, gra- that gap grew a little bit. And then Italy, you had a lot of results that went kind of the way you'd expect them to. Napoli beating Salernitana, Inter Milan beating Atalanta, Monza beating Ferona, Roma beating Lecce, and Juventus beating Fiorentina 1-0. But a couple surprises had Bologna over Lazio, and probably the biggest surprise of all, Udinese, who had lost earlier this week, beating in the cup game, beat AC Milan at the San Siro. And Inter Milan, they continue to lead the Serie A now with Juventus just behind them. And with that loss, AC Milan sit in the third, six points behind Inter. And last year's champions, Napoli, sit in fourth. There's still two games to go on Monday. And then in La Liga, you had a bit of a surprise to start the match week. Atletico Madrid losing the Las Palmas. That was a big one. Girona's continued their great play, beating Osasuna. Rio Betis, Valencia, Alaves, and Athletic Club all picked up big wins. And Barcelona would rely on a stoppage time goal by Ronald Araujo to win on the road against Real Sociedad, who's a very good team as well. And although they dominated the whole game, Real Madrid can only get a draw against Rayo Vallecano. Huge result, because with that draw, Real Madrid have now been leapfrogged by Girona, who lead the La Liga after this many games. It's crazy to me. So now Real is two points behind the leaders, while Barcelona are two points behind their rivals, Real. So craziness in Spain. And uh, France for Ligue 1, the weekend started with PSG thumping Montpellier 3-0. Reims beat Nantes, Monaco beat Brestois, and Le Havre beat Toulouse, and Nice beat Rennes. Both games finished with 10 players. So every other game in the division ended in a draw, including Lyon, who drew with Metz, which Lyon means Lyon have now gone 10 matches without a win craziness but uh, a massive tournament that needs uh, some mentioning goes down south america every year the copa libertadores it had a final between boca juniors argentinian legendary club against fluminese of brazil and what a final fluminese would go up ahead first in the 36th but the boca juniors would equalize in the 72nd so we'd go to extra time and in the extra frame substitute john kennedy would score in the 99th minute that would end up being the winning goal, giving the Brazilian side their first ever Copa Libertadores. So much, so so much talk goes on about the European tournaments. We got to start talking about this one, and I will learn how to say it better. So that's on me. <laughs> the MLS, you had a wild LAFC win over Vancouver, so they had advanced in the conference semifinals. But let me say, this MLS playoff system they have with the best out of three, spacing the games out as far as they do, it loses its luster. I've lost, like, damn Larry. I'm covering it because I like to cover everything in footy in the leagues and even in North America, but they're making people lose interest in this. They're spreading it out, like I said, and they're... They shouldn't be best of three in footy. It's just, I know they're trying to Americanize it or whatever, but I think in the end they're going to have to switch that. One cool thing is uh, Luis, Luis Suarez is coming to reunite with uh, Lionel Messi in Inter-Miami, the old Barcelona 2.0 on American soil. We'll see. And uh, I will mention a quick FA Cup. They had FA Cup round one in the UK, and shout-out to Wrexham. They beat Mansfield Town 2-1, goals by Sam Delby and Super Paul Mullins. So good on them advancing in that tournament. 
going to the hockey rink in the NHL, there was some big news this week off the ice when it was announced the Ottawa Senators will forfeit a first-round draft pick as a result of the punishment from their 2021 trade that sent Evgeny Dadunov to the King, uh, Golden Knights. Sorry. And this, uh, this, of course, prompted GM Pierre Dorian to get fired. <laughs> so uh, brutal start for new ownership in Ottawa. But uh, on the ice, you had the, the, the Golden Knights suffering their first regulation loss of the season to the Ducks. But they still sit atop the West. And even, like, the four top teams in the Pacific Division, they've had some great starts. Vancouver, LA Kings, the before-mentioned Ducks, they're all having great starts in that division alongside Vegas. And the Avalanche looked to show their contenders in the West, too, but fell on their faces against the Golden Knights. 7-0, not a good game. <laughs> but despite that, Colorado's done fairly well this season. Dallas is a little ahead of them, so they've both been leading their division. Out East, Boston has looked like the best team, and everyone else has kind of got this middle tier two pack going we're wondering which teams are going to emerge tampa toronto carolina they've all showed signs but not enough consistency yet i mean granted we've only gotten the double digits of games played but austin matthews leads the league in goals lies peterson from the canucks and jack hughes from the devils are tied for point leads and it's a bit of a bummer for caps fans is uh forward nicholas backstrom he's been there forever a long time veteran there He's announced he's got to take a step away from hockey to deal with his long-time injuries. So hopefully he can recover and come back to doing what he loves. And we had some F1 going down in Brazil for the Brazilian GP. Lando Norris would start things off winning the sprint shootout, you know, barely beating Max Verstappen and teammate Perez there. And then the race on Sunday would all have shit going down before we even raced. Before the race started, Charles Leclerc would set up on the front row, but lost power steering and engine power on the formation lap so we crashed out before the race would even get going and then to start the race shit would hit the fan you'd have nico hulkenberg and teammate kevin magnuson and williams alex albon all colliding and uh you'd have magnuson and albon flying off the track taking out oscar piastri as well a tire flew off someone's car and hit danny ricardo so glad he's okay because that that's scary stuff there and that caused a red flag right off the start. So let's get going. Just kidding. We're stopping. And uh, after things returned, we would, you know, you'd only finish with 14 drivers in this race. Six six drivers would not even finish. And who would win this? None other than Max Verstappen, of course. His record for wins in a season continues to grow as he now sits at 17. So good for him and Team Red Bull there. Lando would finish second. Surprise, surprise, Fernando Alonso would bounce back to round out the podium, and he barely did it. He beat Max's teammate Sergio Perez by 53 thousandths of a second, so that's as close as you can get. <laughs> some NCAA football, we had some big games in college, some SEC matchups. Mississippi won a close one against Texas A&M by three. You had Georgia beat Missouri. Alabama won their rival game against LSU. Clemson picked up a much-needed win over Notre Dame. OK State, with their surprising win over Oklahoma in their last-ever Bedlam series. A series of 119 years. That's crazy. So Oklahoma's, remember, they're leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC next year. So this was big for the OK State Cowboys to stick it to their rivals. I, I got that wrong. I thought the Sooners would win. I also predicted Dion's Colorado to beat Oregon State. They did not. I did have Arizona beating UCLA correct, though. And uh, the best Pac-12 game of the weekend was Washington and, Caleb and USC. Caleb Williams and Michael Penix, two four 
two future NFL quarterbacks went at it. Williams made some big plays for the Trojans, but in the end, the Huskies and Penix made them more plays. So it was tough to see Caleb Williams, you know, crying in his family's arms after the loss. But it does show he, he does at least care about winning, which is, I think, pretty important. But uh, Washington continues to fly. You look for them to continue good things. This could be a, a championship-looking team we're looking at. Wouldn't that be something in our last year of existence, really, with all those teams in the Pac-12? But uh, some other big games. You had Michigan over Purdue, big Oregon over Cal, Penn State over Maryland. Utah over Arizona State, Louisville over Virginia Tech, and Florida State over Pitt. Some big games to circle on the calendar for next week. You have Michigan-Penn State, and that will be a big Big Ten matchup. Tennessee-Missouri, Mississippi and Georgia, Florida and LSU, USC and Oregon. And probably the best of the bunch, the Utah Utes versus the before-mentioned Washington Huskies. Um, out of those games, I have Michigan, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, Oregon, and Washington winning. So uh, I only had one last week, so let's see if I can keep those college uh, picks going. And uh, just like I've done before, way too much basketball knowledge written down here. So if you want some in-depth NBA coverage, I'm dropping a little NBA, another week two roundup of everything that's happened. Power rankings have changed a little bit. So yeah, really cool NBA stuff, which brings us into our short for this short, I didn't know where to go here, and we had uh, some rain, which made some icy roads. Had me thinking of some, you know, bad times on icy roads, and then it hit me. I had this short. It was a lifetime ago. Total, total different, rainy, different relationship years ago. After some, you know, bedroom fun, it was discovered a contraception had broken. Not being on any kind of birth control, not with children at the time. Not a good mix. So I was like, shit. So I rushed out. Remember, it's icy. Going to a store that's closing right away, right? Like closing soon. It was about to close, so you know, a little pep in the step, and it was going. And you know, in the middle of these roads, they have uh, I don't know these signs saying "go in a circle." I don't know why they have these things there. I think it's mostly of a speed deterrent. But uh, yeah, I had to go around this. But as I went to go around, my car just went straight. That sign that was in the way scraped up the whole side of my vehicle, and it did not sound good. I, nothing is more defeating than having your car slide, and you're just like, fuck me, I can't do anything here. So, yeah, it slid, scratched the shit, and I was like, fuck. So I got out to have a look at it, obviously, because the sign looked fucked. So I look, and as I'm going to look... I underestimated the slipperiness, I guess, and I slip, hit the back of my head on the road. I don't know how many times I've hit this fucking head. We need, like, a Reggie Ray scoreboard from Not Another Teen Movie, really. But anyway, you're not too pumped after this now, so I'm cussing. I think I kicked the vehicle a few times, just yelling, ah! Because, I don't know, it was uh, not a very fun series of events going down. Eventually get to the store just on time, grab the Plan B, which is associated, promptly named correctly, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it worked out. No kid. <laughs> Things worked out. Everything happens for a reason, right? Out of that relationship in a better one. Married now for coming up 16 months. Life works in weird ways. So, yeah, that's uh, episode 35 in the books. Be careful on the ice out there, people. And uh, if you're not in a place with ice, well, fuck y'all. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, yeah, 
not a fan of winter. But anyway, thanks for coming out. Episode 35 is in the books. It's keeping this thing rolling. And like I said, there will be a little NBA feature drop later this week where I will continue to talk basketball like a maniac and some basketball junkie full of basketball jones. But until then, thanks again for coming out. Episode number 35 in the books. Appreciate it, guys. You take care. Ben Sayo. Thank you.